and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber, and I am sitting here with James Harkin, Alex Bell, and Andrew Hunter-Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Andy Murray. My fact is that in 1851, all of the 436,800 sandwiches sold on the streets of London were ham. Just ham sandwiches. Just ham sandwiches. That's so obviously not true. It can't be true. (laughs) Well, uh, I think it is. Was it just ham or did they have like ham and pickle or ham and mustard? I had some mustard. Okay. Had, Had other sandwiches been invented at that point and they thought... Yeah. We don't actually like those. We'll stick with ham. I think they have because I think they had cheese sandwiches. Because we've said before on this podcast, they used to be called bread and meat or bread and cheese. Yeah. So I'll tell you. Basically, ham sandwiching was a thing. As in, you you didn't have a sandwich shop. You would be a sandwich seller, and you would have a your own ham, and you would boil it, and then you would sell it from your car. So it's quite hard to have a big range. And we only know about this because there was a guy called Henry Mayhew, uh, who was a social investigator, and he wrote this huge work called London Labour and the London Poor. And he calculated that that number of sandwiches were sold, and the only ones he came across were ham ones. So he's pretty amazing. This guy, he, he is. I, I hadn't heard of him. He co-founded Punch, which was the original British satirical magazine that yep. ran for God hundreds of years. So Alan... might this have been satire we're talking about? No, it's not. <laughs> and B. Wilson, who's a food writer, uh, and her books are very good. She also has written an essay on the subject, and she she said that all the okay. sandwiches were ham. If B. Wilson says it, then I do believe it. <laughs> But even before he went and did Punch, he had the most ridiculous childhood. He ran away from home when he was 12 to join the East India Company. Wow. And worked on their ships. And then he came back and tried law and then he went into journalism. But 12, he ran away when he was 12. But you know how people used to die younger? Is is it like dog years? Is 12 actually <laughs> like 18 back then? Well, I guess kind of. But also it was he ran away because he didn't want to follow the same career as his father. So it's a pretty early age. What did his to... father do? He was a sailor. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was an accountant. Oh, well, I can understand that. He was a very fertile accountant because Henry Mayhew was one of 17 children. Was he? 17. Wow. Um, He did report on his sandwich investigation that one seller told him that sometimes cab drivers would offer to fight them for a sandwich instead of paying for it. Uh, (laughs) That doesn't really feel like it would be a good idea. Well, it doesn't work in Pret when I try it. (laughs) Because as a sandwich seller, the best outcome is that you've won a fight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and kept a sandwich. (laughs) But you've had to fight someone not to lose a sandwich. Yeah, exactly. It it feels like it would be better for you to do nothing at all than to get involved in this fight. Yeah, say no transaction. (laughs) This isn't the best ham-based story from 1851, I have to say. It was a good year, wasn't it? It was a very, um, very We should say what else happened in 1851, just give it some context. Yeah, sure. The Great Exhibition happened in London. And it was just ham sandwiches on the way. (laughs) Well, didn't they have tinned food as one of the attractions? So I guess ham may may have been. Ah. And also... um, Moby Dick was published. I've got to say the best Moby Dick fact ever, which yeah. we all know because it was found by one of our colleagues, Ed Brooke Hitchens, this um, this last week, which is that he got a rejection letter from one publisher saying, the whale is obviously a nice idea, but maybe you could replace it by something more popular. Maybe young, voluptuous maidens? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to harpoon young, voluptuous maidens? That's true. It doesn't make any sense. It would have been like Carrie. It would just be the horror, horror novel. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Dan, you said you had a better ham anecdote from 1851. Yeah, well, okay, uh, Alex. <laughs> we, we all did it in our heads, James, and we all decided not to say it. <laughs> That's not how podcasts work, though. <laughs> 
yeah, so uh, other news. Uh, Alex mentions the great exhibition Moby Dick. Two other things that happened in 1851 is that the New York Times was founded and Reuters News was founded as well. So obviously a lot more outlet to report ham-based stories uh, were erupting <laughs> that year. So um, Christmas in 1851, have you heard about this? In London, it was a sort of super great giveaway to all the poor of London to feed them on Christmas Day. And it was over 22,000 people who were fed in one single place. And that place was called Ham Yard. And Ham Yard in London, they had benefactors from all the richest people in London oh. who gave one, one guy called Mr. Richard Cooper supplied 200 pounds of beef. Um, and they did a massive Christmas meal for all the less privileged of London. So over 22,000 people fed in one go by a very famous chef. He's often called the first celebrity chef, Alexis Sawyer. And it was oh, his right. idea, and he put it together, and he fed all these people. Wow. Yeah. I've been to Ham Yard. It's off Regent Street. Yeah, still there, right? It's still there. Yeah. yeah. Um, the best ham sandwich-related story of the mid-19th century. Mm, okay, uh, that's cheating a bit. Well, it is. Um, this comes from around 1840, so it's about 10 years before both of your mm. ham sandwich oh, stories. Oh, this is way better then, if you've got predated. It's true. Um, so the town of Swindon was invented by a ham sandwich. What? Um, it was founded by a ham sandwich, let's say. The story goes, <laughs> I don't know if this is true, that Isambard Kingdom Brunel was on the railway and he knew that they had to found a town somewhere on the railway because they needed to have a stop there. And he started eating his ham sandwich. And then he thought, well, as soon as I've had enough of this sandwich and I throw it out the window, wherever it lands, that's where I'm going to start my new town. And it landed where currently Swindon is. No way. But <laughs> hang on. <laughs> because you'd have to stop the train immediately. Yeah. And go back and find the And go back sandwich. and find the sandwich. That is true. Unless you remembered... The oh, we were passing through area. Swindon when I threw my sandwich out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> I threw my sandwich out right next to that sign that says, Welcome to Swindon. <laughs> but Swindon was tiny. It was absolutely yeah. tiny before the railway arrived, and then it became huge. So there's another town sort of further south in Wiltshire called Marlborough, and it's absolutely tiny, but it could as easily have gone the other way. If it isn't Kingdom Brunel had, you know, been a bit hungry or hadn't had a banana at breakfast and he wanted a bit more of his sandwich. Mm. Yeah. Um, so... Ham sandwiches are still extremely popular. Are they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The British Sandwich Association <laughs> says that ham sandwiches is the most popular sandwich in the UK. Really? Do you think they'll look back in 100 years at 2016 and think it was a great age of ham sandwiches <laughs> yeah. as well? I think finally, back to the great times of 1851. <laughs> um, they, so this is, uh, this is an old survey. I can't imagine, though. It was 2001. I can't imagine in 15 years it's changed that much. But they said that uh, the favorite filling wasn't ham though it was cheese but a ham sandwich on its own topped but what? the favorite filling yeah i always like my ham sandwiches without ham but with cheese <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think what they mean is what's your favorite filling well if i'm having a sandwich i love it if there's cheese in there and they said would you be happy with just a cheese sandwich no no i think i'll go for ham i think that's how the conversation wait went. but the favorite but, filling is that because you have it outside the sandwich no you have it in the sandwich but you might have it with ham so you have a ham and cheese sandwich. so, so you're saying ham is not a filling because it's the base ingredient of the sandwich no for anything extra is a filling no no there's two questions okay. what is the bread and an item in it yeah. and you could have one item in it they've gone for ham sandwich that works best as a sandwich yeah what's your favorite filling to go in a sandwich oh okay well if i'm having a ham sandwich rather than pickle <laughs> i'll i'll have cheese but right. cheese your, is the favorite added but on what's your favorite filling for two slices of bread 
is ham. Yeah. Of all the things that people have voted on in 2016, <laughs> this makes me the most annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is 2001. People say 2016 is a shit year. <laughs> Imagine you were presented with a lot of different sandwiches that uh, had base meats in them. Like let's say let's say or no meats or like a salad or whatever base meat like al- <laughs> the alchemy of the sandwich world. There's base ten, which yeah. our number system is and then base meat, which is what our sandwiches are based Just on. Turned ham into cheese. <laughs> um, Two thirds of ham and cheese pizzas tested by trading standards officers in Derbyshire fail to contain ham or cheese. No. Yeah. How many? Uh, Two thirds. Um, Two thirds of the pizza. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what it was is when people thought it was ham, it was actually turkey ham, oh. which is made of turkey, not ham. And the cheese was often cheese substitute. <laughs> oh, I'm not no. sure what cheese substitute is, but I, it, hmm. it doesn't sound great. Well, does ham, it? apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Henry Mayhew did a load of, just to drag us back to Henry Mayhew for a bit, um, mm. he did a load of calculations, basically. So he calculated how many sellers there were of each thing on the streets of London. So he calculated, for example, that there were 60 ham sandwich sellers in London, 200 baked potato sellers, 300 people who sold pea soup and hot eel. Um, six people apparently specialised in plum puddings. Didn't they? Yeah. And he would work it out by estimating the number of miles of street in the city and then multiplying that by the number of traders he found per mile. Mm. Yeah, I think it sounds like the most fascinating book. I really want to yeah. read it. It's what's it called again? It's called London Labour and the London Poor. Yeah, and he basically documented 1851 in yeah, London, yeah. in yeah. down to yes. every bit of clothing that people. It would be like us just going out on the street and just recording what's going on as a time capsule. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing work. Incredibly I, comprehensive. Yeah. Really, yeah, and That's it had cool. a big impact. He uh, pissed off a lot of people with this book, um, particularly the street traders, and they actually set up a uh, street traders protection association against this kind of journalism uh, specifically Why? because how they were presented in the book they were presented like these sandwich sellers they're like well actually we do have a bit more than ham actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly really yeah some of the ham sandwiches didn't even have ham in did they not no just cheese they had a bit of <laughs> they had a bit of uh, beef dripping and that was it between two uh, okay. bits of bread what is beef dripping it's uh, fat. Yeah. Sort of, uh, it's a congealed fat. When you've cooked yeah. beef, um, you get all the fat kind of drops down when you roast it. And then you can take that and you can kind of spread it on bread. And it's what people used to eat. That sounds like cheese substitute. It does. But it doesn't taste anything like cheese. It tastes more like kind of fatty <laughs> gravy. Oh, so yeah, delicious. Um, also, he collected a load of data with his brother, Augustus Mayhew. And mm-hmm. yet, 20 years after the book was published... Augustus Mayhew was had up in court on charges of attacking a female peddler, uh, a woman going around selling things. Really? And his defense in court was that people would knock on his door up to 38 times a day selling things. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he just snapped and he said they were shouting things like crockery or fine young rabbits or roots all are blowing, all are growing. Fine young rabbits sounds like a great band, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that there's a, a, a latitude around the earth that's sometimes referred to as the ham belt and it's 40 degrees latitude and it's the uh, it's not so much these days but it used to be the climate at which all the best ham came from so uh, like Kentucky ham Virginia ham Italian prosciutto ham uh, Spanish Serrano ham all of those places are along the same latitude and it's because the climate is sort of ideal for ham curing and it's not so important nowadays because uh, you know you have climate control factories and whatnot but um, yeah and it was discovered by Alexander von Hambelt (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Alex. My fact is that since 2003, the UK has eaten one and a half million pounds in cash. <laughs> okay. Uh, and when you say cash, are we talking 2p coins or... Notes. Oh. So this is... The Bank of England releases stats every year on uh, the... Uh, yeah, the graph. <laughs> Alex yeah. got a massive graph on his uh, research notes here. So for people at home, what happens is we kind of do some research and we print it out on a sheet of paper and we've got like little paragraphs that we might read out if something comes up. But Alex just has a massive graph. <laughs> <laughs> I'm concerned by the year-to-year trend. I'm going to explain. You can um, submit... Uh, banknotes that are damaged in some way to the Bank of England to get them replaced Um, and then they keep stats on them so they release each year how many banknotes have been um, torn apart or accidentally washed um, or contaminated or damaged by fire or flood and the other category is chewed or eaten Um, and so each year they've released how many uh, how many notes of each denomination have been chewed or eaten and how much they're worth Um, and in total since 2003 it's 1.5 million okay so I reckon when you said that fact people were thinking that humans were eating these notes but i reckon it must be mostly like dogs and stuff maybe right? yeah it could be babies could be babies yeah i mean babies, so babies will put things in their mouths won't they they will but they don't have teeth that's true mm. so they won't be chewing it and damaging it i mean mm. some of them have teeth don't they do, do you have to have teeth to chew that's a good point can that's... you chew with gums alone <laughs> you could suppose you could ruminate the note in your mouth you could yeah like you could dissolve it yeah i'd say a baby would be sucking rather than chewing yeah Okay, well... But you have to provide the the remnants of the note to prove that uh, you had it in the first place, because otherwise you could just write the back room and say... But yeah, how do you, so what, you bring the dog? So there could be plenty of notes that have been completely eaten, I guess. It's very hard to say. My dog ate 2,000 quid in 50-pound notes. Um, unfortunately, he ate them so thoroughly. Yeah. But if you could yeah. send me... No, but they do send this. I recommend it. Yeah. It's called the Mutilator's Notes Service. And you, you post them in and you write a little explaining letter. And if they think it's legit, then I'll post you some money. Ah, yeah. I could have used that. I once got given an envelope of some money. and uh, you've, been, you've been paid it for asking those questions in the House of Commons, haven't you? <laughs> Excellent satire from the early 2000s. <laughs> Thank you. It's 90s, actually. That's, it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the rest of you can look that up at home and have a, a really entertaining afternoon. Cash for questions. Anyway, sorry, go on. Go on, Dan. <laughs> so rather than opening the envelope the normal way, I opened it up at the top end of the, on the side. So I just ripped it open. The short edge of the envelope. Yes, exactly. Right. So I ripped it open there and I, uh, and then I got to the shop and it was closed. And so I couldn't buy anything. So I went to my house, came out in the morning to buy the milk that I was looking to buy handed over from the envelope my 10 pound note and the guy said i can't accept this you're missing uh the last like eighth of the note <laughs> and what i had done and there was about 60 quid in this envelope i had ripped as well as the envelope all that final eighth of all the notes <laughs> and they had scattered all on the street and had to go around uh, the street collecting the rest of my notes you got them back yeah i found them they the were all... day afterwards yeah oh yeah, my yeah. god the next did, you, did you get the milk i did yeah <laughs> great yeah. um I think that all of these banknotes were mostly eaten by dogs, not humans or babies. Well, babies are humans, apart from baby dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think they're mostly eaten by dogs. Um, yeah. In Montana, a few years ago, there was a news story about a dog called Sundance who ate five $100 bills that were stashed in his owner's um, little cubby hole. Mm-hmm. Um, but the $500 bills were together with a single $1 bill, which it didn't eat. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. 
Wow. This is interesting. Do you know where the first place to feature Queen Elizabeth on money was? Oh, uh, so not Britain. It was not Britain. Yeah. Was it somewhere in the Caribbean? No. Somewhere in Africa? No. Australia? No. Canada? Yes. Yes. Uh, (laughs) What Um, is that? They had her when um, she was uh, a nine-year-old princess, uh, so prior to being the queen, and it was on their $20 notes. And so, obviously, she wasn't on any money here. She wasn't the queen yet, but they wanted to They wanted to wow. give her mm. some props over there. I'm not sure completely why, but they used her image. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Speaking of notes in Canada, a few years ago, there was a rumor that all Canadian banknotes smelled of maple syrup, uh, and people were kind of pulling them out of their pockets and smelling them and believed that they could smell maple syrup. And everyone on the internet was saying, yeah, mine smell of maple syrup as well. But mine only smell of it when I take them out of my pocket and they've warmed up. So they must be putting something <laughs> and, in the note. And I keep <laughs> the pocket I keep all my maple syrup in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that must have been it. Or it was just like a weird hysteria because yeah. the Bank of yeah. Canada said that actually there's nothing in there and we've tested ours and they don't smell of maple syrup. But they have got in trouble in the past as well, the Bank of Canada, because they did a new series of notes and they put a maple leaf on and it was pointed out that that maple leaf uh, that particular shape of maple leaf is from a tree which does not grow in canada that's right ah. it was a norwegian maple rather than a canadian maple right mm. and they said actually what we've done is we've blended together a load of maple leaves to avoid being regionally insensitive well, to that's all those no norwegians way. living in canada <laughs> that's kind of like the euro though because yeah. when they designed the euro notes uh, they didn't want to favor any particular country's culture so they uh, got someone to take a load of famous bridges from all the different countries that were taking the euro um, and sort of blend them into generic bridges that yeah made, so made all the euro money has yeah. fake bridges on it yeah so but, no one but gets then offended an artist started building those bridges it was an art installation rather than an actual bridge but he started building the fake bridges over rivers in belgium or something that's a great idea yeah yeah, yeah. that's fantastic so like odd weird reverse forgery but n- not money yeah oh this is a, a cool thing about currency so in uh, i think it was november or october um the japanese financial services industry was considering regulating a new kind of currency which was any guesses um it's a currency that james spends and the rest of us don't pokemon money it's poker coins <laughs> um so as, as far as i understand you use the currency to breed uh, imaginary monsters on your phone um you use them to not buy monsters but buy things that help you to find monsters i see Okay. Wait, so you can't even buy Pokemon with them. You can buy facilities no. to help you. Well, you've got to catch Pokemon. Yeah. So it's like you can buy a net with a Pokecoin. Kind of. You can, can buy a lure. That's spending real money on that. You can spend real money or you can find them in the game. Okay. So. But we all do it. Like Temple Run, you know, when you spend money to buy more, you know, yeah. speed ability and so on. Mm-hmm. Okay, we all well, do it, Andy. We all do it. Okay. The Japanese Financial Services Authority is not considering regulating Temple Run coins, though. They are considering regulating... The Mayan, um... Um, And basically, if they did decide to regulate it, I don't think... I'm not sure if they've come to a conclusion yet. Companies would have to declare all the unused currency that gamers have held, and they'd have to secure it with massive deposits of real money. Wow. That's really interesting. Speaking of digital money, uh, there's um, a landfill in Wales which has an enormous treasure trove like a buried treasure and it's getting more and more valuable each year so in 2013 it was worth four million pounds and it's because there's a hard drive which a man called james howells threw away uh-huh. um in 2013 um and he realized after he thrown it away that he had a digital wallet on it which had seven and a half thousand bitcoin and he got those in 2009 when they were worth nothing mm. uh, but they now worth 2013 they're worth about four million pounds and they're increasing a lot more since then and so, so we don't know where it is in somewhere the... under there yeah and, right yeah so yeah get digging um should we move on soon 
thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have one thing that uh, Motorola has invented an edible password. They call it an authentication vitamin, and it's a pill that you swallow. And if you have your phone near you, it will wirelessly unlock it. Uh, sorry, I, I'm a bit confused on how yeah. it works. So, so you swallow you, a pill. You swallow a pill. It has a tiny microchip in it, which uh, broadcasts yes. a little uh, signal. And that's a signal that will wirelessly unlock your devices if they're set up for it. So is it activated by the act of swallowing it? No, no, no. You don't have to swallow it every time you want to unlock your phone. You put it in you, and then whenever you're around your phone, it's unlocked. But except for when you poo it out. Yeah, so then you have to swallow another one. But why can't you just have it in your pocket? <laughs> uh, because you could lose that or someone else could pick yeah, pocket you point, yeah. Yeah. whereas you can't have it stolen from you if you've eaten so it. what you could yeah. do is you could put the little chip that's in a Neister card and you could eat that and then every time you're walking towards yeah. um, the gates yeah. at the tube station it'll be like you're on Star Wars or something yeah. <laughs> and that is why my lord I took a dump on the oyster barrier <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time to move on to fact number three, and that is my fact. And my fact this week is that a day on the sun lasts both 25 and 38 Earth days. Okay, um, you're going to have okay. to explain. Because it's always going to feel like daytime there, isn't it? Yeah, it's not really going to... Yeah, you're going to be confused. So, um, because it's a massive gas body, it spins at different speeds. So the middle of it, the equator as it were, spins around 25 days... That makes one day. But the poles go a lot slower, so it takes up to 38 days for them to turn around. So um, I should say that there are fluctuations in these numbers, obviously. So 24.7 is usually the number given for the quickest bit where the equator, where the middle of the sun is spinning around. 38 is the top end bit. But I asked Alex and I saw an astrophysicist the other night, uh, Dr. Lucy Green, and she said that's absolutely true, that yeah. they do have these different yeah. spins on them. Yeah, really interesting. So did Jupiter and Saturn, actually. They also have differential spin because they're, they're gas. Oh. Yeah. Um, I found out this thing the other day, which I told the guys, but I haven't told you yet. So I'll ask you it as a question. Go on. Um, so uh, let's assume that there are eight planets in the solar system. Yeah. How many planets in our solar system orbit the sun? Of those eight, all of them. Ah, technically, if you go into a super technical uh, reasoning, we orbit the sun because at the center of the gravity that's pulling us, making us orbit the sun, is in the middle of the sun. Jupiter is so large, it's so big, that it's pulled the center of gravity out to above the sun's surface. So technically, they are orbiting each other. That's really good. Yeah, it's quite cool, isn't it? I had no idea Jupiter was yeah. that big. It also has a massively fast day, Jupiter. Does it? So yeah, it rotates uh, every 10 hours. So daytime and nighttime each last about five Earth hours, oh. which is really short. It's faster than any other planet. And if it was 80 times larger, which is not that much larger, it could have been a star, Jupiter. Wow. Yeah. What would it have done to us? Oh, I think we'd be in big trouble. Yeah, issues, right? Probably. Hey, so I found this fact when I was reading a book called The Jupiter Effect, which is written by John Gribben, who okay. most people know is a massive popular science writer. He wrote In Search of Schrodinger's Cat. Um, and this book is the one book that he wants people to forget about. So oh. I apologize <laughs> to I'm glad John Gribben. Because you've met John Gribben, haven't you? <laughs> I have, yeah. Uh, he'll be delighted that you're bringing this up. Uh, yeah, I'm really sorry, but it is out there. And it is, it's a really well-written book, except for one thing, which it has a conceit of it, which is that basically there was going to be a ginormous earthquake at the San Andreas Fault um, on March the 10th of 1982, because they believed that all the planets were going to align and it was just going to set off chaos on Ooh. Earth, which never happened. It was a bestseller, though, but it didn't happen. 
so they, he's sure. kind of buried that book by writing about 200 more books <laughs> to separate that's himself. True. He writes tons of books I and they're all brilliant. They're all the brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do you think that's the reason he writes so many? I think just so it goes further down yeah. that bibliography yeah, list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, just going back to the sun very quickly. Yes. What would happen if you replaced the sun with a black hole? So uh, there'd be less light. Yeah. For yes. starters. There'd be less yeah. energy coming from it, you would think. Yes. Um, so it all freeze to death. And we would get sucked into it. Uh, no, uh, there we are. That's finally go. the thing. Yeah, no, apparently, uh, this, so the Oxford University Science Blog looked into this, and they found that apparently the planet's orbits would stay kind of much the same, because if it's the same mass as the sun, this black hole, then the gravitational field it produces is about the same as that of the sun. Hmm. But it will be cold and dark. Mm. The sun is obviously emitting loads of heat, but... Jupiter, we were talking about Jupiter, Jupiter irradiates so much heat that it loses it faster than it gains energy from the sun, which means that it's shrinking at about two centimetres a year. That is what? Huge. Yeah. That's two centimetres a year? Yeah. I mean, it's massive, so that's relatively quite a small amount, but that's yeah. Not mad. Yeah. Are there planets out there that we've seen exoplanet style that would be just enough atmosphere, tall enough that a six foot person could stand in and sort of like run their life but that's where the planet ends. Well, that's the only uh, atmosphere. Yeah, so if you were to go to, I think it's Mars, Yeah. Uh, they have a very, very, very weak atmosphere, and so it would kind of feel like winter at your head, but spring at your feet. Wow. Yeah. So and, so you kind of, your head would be out of the atmosphere, kind of. So really? you have to, what do you have to, where do you spend Christmas? <laughs> do you have to go up a stepladder, basically, for yeah. Christmas? And then for, for, for Summer, spring... Summer, just lie on the floor. Summer collection, just lie down. <laughs> I yeah. have one more. Do you know what else is fueled by the sun? Superman, according to DC Comics. Really? I know this because once he was bitten by Dracula and Dracula exploded. What? <laughs> Science, guys. <laughs> I don't recall that bit of the Bram Stoker novel. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Dracula bites Superman and then Superman explodes. No, 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 no. Dracula, Dracula explodes. explodes because Dracula vampires don't like sunlight. How do we know Superman isn't made out of garlic? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for a final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that in 1945, police in Halifax, Nova Scotia, initiated a campaign to stop people from beeping their car horns in Morse code to signal out vile and filthy language. <laughs> and what were they saying in the Morse code? Do we know? This is the weird thing, right? So I saw this on a website called Boing Boing, which is one of my favorite places online. They have amazing facts and stuff like that on there. And it was a news cutting. And I'm pretty sure the news cutting is real because I found it in other places. But that's the only thing on the whole of the internet that seems mm. to give any idea that this actually happened. Now I see why you were throwing shade at my ham sandwiches fact. You were trying to draw attention from your own <laughs> sketchy sourcing. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I just, I don't know if it's true. If anyone knows any more, then do let us know. But I think it's a really, it's a nice idea if it's not true, right? Yeah. It's, I don't think it's the most uh, eloquent way to swear at someone through more scale. It takes a long time. It takes so. a very long time. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, you're a dick, kind of, yeah. Yeah. If you're in traffic, though, you do have time. So you might as well That's send a true. message. Yeah, You're relying on the person who is a dick knowing um, Morse code. code. Yeah. yeah, It's quite funny because it does sound like you're actually just bleeping yourself yeah. as you're swearing <laughs> at someone. <laughs> <laughs> so this is 1945. That's right. What kind of car horns were we at that point? What kind of cars were we at at that point? Well, we would have had cars that are not a million miles dissimilar to 
cars that we have now. They're combustion okay. engines. So maybe slightly bigger American cars, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, so the 50s is where I start to yeah. sort of clock what a car is. Okay, so imagine five years before that. <laughs> <laughs> Take All off right. the tail fins, yeah. Yeah, yeah I got it there. But they, they've had horns, like a horn sound, since the very beginning of things with wheels on the road, haven't they? And yeah, so they predate cars. Yeah, and they weren't, they were originally outside the cars and people would like walk alongside carriages with horns or they'd walk alongside cars with horns. What did and so it, if you were just walking, them, you had a you had a horn. Yes. Oh, no. I, I've heard, yeah, I've read this as well. That yeah. Pedestrians carried the first <laughs> really? car horns to warn cars, and then eventually they said, "Why don't we combine this with the car?" I read that there was an early locomotive act, and the idea was that cars used to travel really slowly, and to warn people that cars were on the way, someone would walk ahead of the car with a red flag. Okay, so Andy yeah. knows everything about this. Yeah, is yeah. it true? Is this true? Uh, not really. Oh, okay, it's well, true that the act existed. The act existed. Yeah, uh, and the red flag thing was used and you you would have to have three people operating a vehicle one to steer it one to stoke the boiler and one to walk ahead who was called the stalker with the red flag yep however i think that when the act was introduced cars were not a thing uh because it was in about the 1870s and by the time people started having personal cars the red flag bit was not observed and not and had been repealed okay from memory yeah that's yeah that's how it went so yeah um, I was looking online about um, sometimes in Morse code, you know, how yeah. on text messages, you know, lol for laugh out loud, there's a long list of how they do abbreviations for right. longer sentences. Um, so uh, one of my favorite ones, and this is goodbye. So I want to see who gets this. If you were doing a shortened Morse code of goodbye, it's DSW. Why would it be DSW? Don't. Darling, um, what? D- no DSW. Oh, yeah, you were doing all the these th- there. Does it stand for three words? No, it doesn't actually. Oh, uh, then I'm not going to know it. DSW. I would have thought I would have gone for CU because that would be shorter. Yes, right? it would have been. Yeah. So what's DSW? DSW. I can't actually pronounce it, but James will be able to because it's oh, his it's second language. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Oh. It's Russian. Yeah, Russian Dostvidania. Yeah. I see. That's oh, for good. goodbye. DSW. Goodbye. And then humor is H-I, humor intended. H-E-E is humor intended or laughter. We should we should absolutely start using these after some of our jokes on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I could just say H-I after one of my puns. Uh, <laughs> uh, here's another thing I hadn't heard of. Uh, Hogmorse. Have you heard of Hogmorse? Hogwarts, no. yeah. It's from... <laughs> <laughs> Hogmorse. Is that... Is it bad Morse? Is it like Pig Latin? Yeah, it's it's autocorrect. It's basically autocorrect oh, for yeah. when you're doing Morse. It's the um, most commonly made mistakes when you're doing Morse code. And what does it mean? Is it like letters which are similar? Or yeah, it's um it's basically called after one example home becoming hog. One example given oh. in the literature is please fill me in becoming six nas fimi q. I see. So, so you... M E is going to be dash dash dot or something, but then G is going to be dash dash dot without a space. Yes, yeah. And so, and, and like I guess there's the risk of everything going really out of kilter if you mix up mm. something and then you get out of sync with the person receiving and they think your letters end and start in different places right. and then it just turns into gobbledygook. Yeah. Um, so this was this whole fact about a kind of secret message being sent mm. out basically, it's a rude secret message. Yes. Um, so I found another example of this kind of thing. Another thing from the Second World War. So Chinese engravers who are designing banknotes changed the design of Chinese banknotes uh, to score points off the Japanese uh, who are occupying their country. Did they? Yeah. So, for example, the one UN note, very, very common note, um, yeah. it has a, a picture of Confucius on it, and he's, he's making a gesture of prayer, uh, almost uh, it looks quite uh, Buddhist almost. 
and the, uh, some engravers changed some of the banknotes they made so that Confucius is doing the um, the classic uh, sex mime where you, <laughs> where you use one uh, your thumb and finger on one hand and the finger on the other. And for people at home, Andy is doing said mime. Yeah, Great radio. Classic sex mime, as he put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they did that. Um, here's a thing about um, signalling out vile and filthy language. An article from the Daily Mail from a couple of years ago. Uh, Mother Lauren Walker had endured a day from hell at the hands of her son, Max. The two-year-old had smeared their dog in butter and put jam in the DVD player. Then he decided he didn't want the fish pie she had spent two hours making. So she then spelt out the C word in his alphabet potato shapes (laughs) in revenge. (laughs) I don't know how that becomes news, but it did make me laugh. It must be a photo on Instagram that then gets picked up or something like that. I was was reading um, about President Andrew Jackson. He had a parrot that he taught to swear. And apparently it attended his funeral and started swearing really loudly. His funeral had to be taken out. Taken out, like, taken out like, by the secret yeah, service. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit harsh. <laughs> but just open up the coffin and chuck it in with him. Um, there is a an online service called eggplantmail.com uh, where you can send a message to your loved one. Uh, and the idea is that in emojis, um, a aubergine is a signal for um, something sexual. And this company will send a real-life aubergine uh, to your loved one, and they'll inscribe a message on it, and it's supposed to be a signal. It's like doing a real life emoji. That's oh, quite cool. Yeah. It's, quite cool. Wow. it's quite good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, they describe themselves as 100% phallic, 100% anonymous, and 100% disturbing. Ah. <laughs> and 100% bad at maths. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James at Eggshaped, Andy at Andrew Hunter M, and Alex at Alex Bell underscore. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at QI Podcast, or you can go to no such thing as a fish.com, which has all of our previous episodes. And you can also go to no such thing as the news, which has all of our previous TV show episodes, a topical look at the week at which week uh, all the previous weeks all the old weeks if you were really thinking to yourself I'd love to know what happened in November and late October of this year head to no such thing as the news.com we'll be back again next week with another episode we'll see you then goodbye <laughs> <laughs>